With Siata Dishmaya, let's continue with our lessons on meeting with the King of Kings and building that strong bond and connection with your Creator, which is our purpose to be in this world, is to cleave back and be in complete the Vegas to our God. So now let's continue with talking about, about the highest state of tefillah. What's the highest state? So in the previous lesson, we discussed tefillah, and we explained it's not merely a single detail of our avodah. In fact, we find it in the Sephara Makadoshim that just as Torah is equal to all the 613 mitzvot, so is tefillah. And that means that each of the 613 mitzvot and each aspect of our avodah must be preceded by tefillah. So how should the tefillah be expressed? And we're informed of one form of tefillah in the Pasuk. A poor man speaks with supplication. But there's many forms of tefillah. Hazal, in fact, mentions that there are ten terms used to describe tefillah. So we mentioned that, uh, that you have to be engaged in tefillah continuously throughout the day. And it's impossible for that kind of tefillah to be always expressed as supplication. So there's going to be some degree of supplication, but you cannot sustain all day the sense of pour out your heart as water in the presence of Hashem. And there's particular moments in which Hashem grants grants you the privilege to have your heart opened. And then you can in fact be in the state of pour out your heart as water in the presence of Hashem. And you're going to feel closeness to Hashem. And you're going to pour out your heart before Him. But except for the rare few, you won't be able to sustain this lofty state all day long. So the most practical method is to address Hashem all day, directly, speaking to Him naturally, as it were. The Pesach says, Wherever I will allow you to mention my name, I will come to you and bless you. And so when you say to Hashem, you, Hashem, comes, the mention of Hashem's name means that you really want to speak to Hashem, and when that is your inner true will, He's going to certainly come to you. Because Hashem is next to you, you can relate to Him. In the Mesilas, uh, Yesharim says, a man speaks to his friend. It will be as if you're requesting from a family member, please bring me that object, or could you do that for me? So in this way, you have to speak naturally to Hashem and ask Him, I wish to learn. Please help me understand the subject. Or I wish to pray. Please help me pray properly. Or I'm going to walk on a city street. Please protect my eyes and protect me you know, from, from seeing anything forbidden. And for all these issues and for all other issues that trouble you, you should speak to your Creator. And so during the time of your solitude or a certain opportune moments, you should in fact try to pour out all your feelings before Hashem. And this again is the meaning of pour out your heart as water. But throughout the day, you should speak to Hashem as if you're speaking to a friend. So literally, literally, you should do that. You should feel that just as the share and the table are, are here, so is Hashem, even more so. So just as you speak to your family members and you're certain that they hear you, so must it be with Hashem. So one of the ten terms of tefillah is sadaka, or I'm sorry, zaka, zaka, crying out. As it says, zak libam, their heart cried out to Hashem. And how does one person generally crowd and pour and, and shout to another? There's two types of shouting. The first is when Reuben tried to speak with Shimon. If he sees that Shimon is ignoring him, Reuben might finally lose patience and start shouting. He does that so that Shimon can pay attention to him and treat him respectfully. And this is one type of shouting that we find among people. 
And the second kind of shouting is when Reuben is on one side of the street and he sees his friend Shimon walking on the other side towards a bus stop. Reuben desperately needs to walk to Shimon and he knows that if he doesn't yell, Shimon will get on the bus and he'll miss the opportunity. So Reuben therefore screams out Shimon's name and says, wait a minute, I need you. And he shouts simply because he knows that Shimon won't hear him if he speaks softly. So now let's consider, when we speak to Hashem, what kind of shouting might we do? So clearly the first kind where we shout out because someone isn't paying attention cannot apply to Hashem. For as we say in our prayers, you listen to the prayer that comes forth from every mouth. So Hashem listens to the prayer of every Jew. The Sepharim explained that each prayer is answered even if this isn't always apparent. So there's no need to shout out to make him listen. He always listens. It's just that he answers it in the affirmative when he sees that it's beneficial for a person to have his request fulfilled. And so whereas the answer is no, when he sees that it's not in the best interest for you. So if you think that you need to shout at Hashem to make him listen, then you betray the lack of emunah. You have a lack of emunah and a misunderstanding of what Hashem is. So what about the second kind of shouting? It's like when, when a person is distant and you shout because you might miss the opportunity to reach him. The Gemara learns from the prayer of Hannah many fundamental laws concerning prayers. And one of them is, and her voice was not heard. And from here we learn that it's forbidden to raise one's voice in prayer. This law about prayer and silence applies specifically to the Shmona Esrei. However, during the other parts of the prayer, there's no specific prohibition against praying out loud. So what's the basic difference between Shmona Esrei and the other parts of the prayer? And why must you pray in silence specifically there? Well, while you may raise and your voice raise your voice during let's say other parts of your prayer the simplest explanation is that in the smona esrei you reach a level where you can talk to hashem as a man speaks to his friend and when a person is in a state of in the presence of hashem then you're right with the creator and there's no need there's no need uh, to shout and when you sense that Hashem is in the heavens and I'm on the earth and you feel deep down that Hashem is far and if he is far, I naturally, naturally need to shout. But when one senses that Hashem is right nearby, just as when you speak to your family member, you don't need to, a loudspeaker, you don't need to raise your voice. So too when you speak to Hashem, your speech is calm and gentle. When the people of Nineveh were warned of imminent destruction, the Pasuk says, and they called out to God with force. So the Koska Rebbe remarked that such is the way of people like those in Nineveh. They think they need to shout with force so that Hashem can hear them. And so one who is pure and sensitive knows that you can live in a state of in the presence of Hashem. Because you speak to Hashem not with shouts and force, but as you speak to a friend. So anyone who lives with Hashem throughout the entire day lives in a state of, I place Hashem before me at all times. And you are aware that there is no place devoid of, your, of His presence. And so deep in your soul, you sense that Hashem is nearby. So if you feel that you need to shout, then you lack the sense that Hashem is nearby. So when speaking to a relative outside the country, even if there's a good connection, since one senses that you're speaking with someone far away, there's a tendency to speak loudly. So the sense of the distance between the speaker and the listener causes a person to raise his voice and even shout. But... The more that you sense that Hashem is really nearby, the more you're going to speak in the manner of as a man speaks to his friend. But if you feel a need to shout, then you have to be lacking. You'll be lacking in inner awareness of Hashem's close, closeness. And certainly you will not at first sense that you're talking to a friend. And this requires, as we keep saying over and over again in all of our lessons, 
all these lessons that you are learning, all of these require tremendous effort. And only after a while, you're going to start to feel it. All we're doing here is presenting the path, the path for your advancement. But it's going to take time. You're going to start with the feeling that Hashem is not very close unless you already have the privilege to sense that He is close. But for those of us who are not as pure, this is the normal process. And advance from level to level, feeling more and more that you are really speaking to the Creator and He's present. And this is the goal, to live with Hashem even here in this world. As it says, I shall walk before Hashem in the lands of the living. So when you are privileged to cleave to Hashem, as it says, and you who cleave to Hashem are all alive today, then even this world can become transformed for you and you will walk before Hashem in the lands of the living even here in this world. So once you, or in other words, once, once, once a person with uh, torn shoes went in to see the Chazonish, the Chazonish inquired like, why he hadn't bought the, sh the new shoes? Why, why is he using the old shoes? He answered that he didn't have the money. The Chazonish asked him, did you already ask Hashem for the money to buy shoes? No, he answered the man. I'm ashamed to ask him for shoes. It's not dignified. The Hazanish told him, you should know that your behavior does not stem from a bashful fear of Hashem. There's a lack in your relationship with the Creator. If you would really feel that Hashem is your father and that he's here, you wouldn't, you wouldn't hesitate to ask. If you were a child and your shoes tore, you were, you were not ashamed to ask your father to buy you a, new, uh, a new pair of shoes unless you knew that your father didn't have the money. And if you knew that he had the money, would you have been ashamed even for a moment to ask him for shoes? Certainly not. So the Hazanish concluded, can the hand of Hashem be limited? <laughs> Certainly Hashem doesn't lack anything and you should not hesitate to ask for your needs. So when a person is privileged to feel that Hashem is near him, you're going to pray for every detail of your life, even for the smallest things. Why is this? Because the death of the matter is as follows. Who made the person need the shoes? Did they tear on their own? Why don't you have money to buy new shoes? And this all comes, Hashkaha Pratit, specific divine providence. You bought those shoes and you had them for a year. So as long as they were needed, they didn't tear. But the moment the divinely ordained time for their use was completed, Hashem tore them. So it turns out that, that the one who tore them was the Creator Himself. So concerning the Beknamidash, we find in the Gemara, when a fire goes out and finds thorns, when it goes on its own, the one who lit the fire shall pay. So the Holy One says, I must pay for the fire I lit. I lit the fire in Zion. As one Pusuk states, he lit a fire in Zion, destroying his foundation, and I will rebuild it with fire. As another Pusuk states, for I shall be a wall of surrounding fire for her, Zion, says Hashem, and a glory in her midst. So when you recognize that it was Hashem who destroyed the Bet Amidash, you turn to the one who destroyed it and you ask him to rebuild it. And this is true not only of the most important thing, it's the Bektamidash, but out of every detail in your life, if you apply this idea and you understand that Hashem caused your shoes to tear, it's in the same category as He lit the fire in Sion, then you're going to also understand that. I will rebuild it with fire. So you're going to go to Hashem for your needs because you understand that there's no other address at which to seek the fulfillment of all your needs. So if Reuben broke something, he has to pay for it. But if beyond this, if you understand that the address for everything is simply Hashem and only He makes things happen, 
it will be clear without any doubt that there's no one else to turn to. So the feeling that you might have, that you might ask only for big things and not small ones come from a lack of appreciation of the divine providence. And that's because tefillah and your awareness of divine providence are interdependent. When you recognize divine providence, your tefillah naturally becomes stronger. And this way you grow from strength to strength. The more you pray for each detail, the more you will instill emunah and ashkaha prati in your life. So there's a well-known saying, words that emanate from the heart enter the heart. The Sefer HaGedoshim explained that this doesn't refer to words of the speaker entering the heart of the listener. But rather, these same words must enter the heart of the one who spoke them. And they can certainly enter other hearts as well. But if words don't enter the heart of the one who spoke them, then they cannot enter the heart of the one who hears them. So the one who speaks does not personally have a receptacle for his own words. The listener will not be able to receive them either because he needs to give them a receptacle for his words. And how does he do this? How do we do that? If you strive with all your might to receive the words you say, then the words become to the listener with a built-in receptacle. You understand that? So likewise, likewise, when a person prays and his words come from the heart, those words, it's going to return to his own heart. And his emunah will be strengthened through the force of tefillah. Do you understand that? If you're working on acquiring emunah in Ashkaha Prati and you pray for this, the tefillah itself is going to instill emunah in you more deeply. If you really want your tefillah to accomplish something, then you have to be able to receive the words yourself. And this can be understood through the example that we saw and we talked about before. If a person enters a store and asks for a bottle of soda, right? And the storekeeper hands it to you. And then you, and, and then however, he pulls back his hand and the bottle falls to the ground. Tefillah is the hand Hashem gave us to receive his bounty. And so we request always a lot of things from Hashem. So why aren't our requests always answered the way we would like them to be? And one of the reasons is that we have not made our tefillah into the proper receptacle. If you are receiving emunah through your tefillah, then the tefillah is a receptacle for emunah. And you can receive all that you need through that tefillah, livelihood, health, clothing, etc. But if the tefillah is only for a detail, and one, and you seek only shoes or only a livelihood, and you don't form a vessel for receiving emunah, which is a real gold of tefillah, then it's not a proper tefillah. And if so, it can't accomplish anything. If the tefillah is in order to fulfill a request, and you don't instill yourself with a greater emunah and divine providence, then the inner essence of the tefillah is lacking. So now let's add a simple point. Remember what Rabbi Akiva said. If water, which is soft, can bore a hole in the stone, which is hard, then surely words of Torah, which are hard as iron, can bore a hole in any heart which is flesh and blood. So, what effect can drops of water have on a stone? If you would examine each drop on its own, you're not going to notice any effect. Only after tens and hundreds and thousands of drops, then the significant effect of the drops become apparent. And so too in our voda, both in general and specifically in the area of tefillah, that we're now discussing this it's one drop of effort after another after another until they join to bore a hole in stone 
So tefillah is going to place your heart in the belief in divine providence, but you cannot examine your heart each day and say, a moment before tefillah, I feel a certain way, and now after the tefillah, do I feel more emuna? There isn't any instrument to measure this. Tefillah has to be done in a way that strengthens the principle of emunah, but you will only be able to check it, check its influence after a long period of time, like the water that bores a hole in the stone. So when you engage in tefillah, you have to approach it as a way of instilling emunah in yourself. For example, you daven for shoes. You start talking to Hashem and say, my shoes are tore. My shoes tore because that was your will. And I certainly need shoes, whether it's because rain is getting in or because my dignity, depending on the situation. Master of the world, I know that you are the only one to turn to for shoes. I'm asking for shoes, but I know that the main benefit of the tefillah is not the new shoes. And perhaps I need to suffer by not having them. The main thing is that I know that you are the one to turn to. So whether or not the prayer is accepted, and your tefillah should always be a request that Hashem will be done, Hashem's will be done, Bezat Hashem. The goal, main goal here is to attain emunah through tefillah. And so, initially you might pray because you want new shoes. But as we mentioned, you have to realize that tefillah is for strengthening emunah. So even at a higher aspect though, is that talking to Hashem is itself a goal. Besides the desired object, and even besides the attainment of emunah. If you have not yet attained emunah, then the main goal should be to attain the emunah. And if you have already attained it, then the main goal is a very privilege of talking intimately to Hashem. So therefore in prayer, you should thank Hashem. Thank Hashem for the privilege of talking to Him. And this is a basic introduction to the entire process of tefillah. When you speak to Hashem, you have an unparalleled opportunity. If you recognize this and you know that this such is the real value of tefillah, then it will naturally be carried out with joy and with inspiration. Baruch Adonai Leolam, Amen ve Amen.